Support for this program is provided by Chevron, the human energy company. This is Politico Energy. I'm Nirmal Malaykul. There are some major signs that the utilities that power rule America are open to adding more green energy, thanks in part to federal government subsidies. See, the Agriculture Department is running this new program that aims to bring more clean energy to rural America by providing nearly $10 billion in funding. And these cooperatives, which are basically member-owned utilities that account for 10% of the U.S. grid, they've sent in a record number of proposals beyond what the program can actually give. That's worth noting because co-ops have been slow to move away from coal power and several red districts and states have opposed federal funds for clean energy. So today, Politico's Catherine Morehouse breaks down the ins and outs of this program and why co-ops see it as a game-changing opportunity. It's Thursday, October 12th. So there's this new program under the USDA that's offering $9.7 billion under the Inflation Reduction Act, and that's through loans and grants that can be put toward investments in new clean energy projects or that can help rural cooperatives wean off fossil fuel plants at a lower cost. So the program received record demand from electric co-ops, more than twice the program's capacity, and that's across nearly every state in Puerto Rico. Part of the reason for the sky-high interest in this program is just simply how generous the structure is. So one of the really appealing parts of the program that people I spoke with repeatedly pointed to is there's essentially a 25% discount under the grant program. So you can apply for this grant and you only need to cover three-fourths of a solar and storage project's cost, for instance, which is just a huge really discount effectively for these clean energy projects. So it's kind of a no-brainer for these cooperatives all over the country, whether you're a cooperative that's kind of already had goals in place and is on their way to making these big investments already. They see that this is as a way of speeding up that process. Or for some cooperatives, it's that complete game changer of, you know, maybe we haven't been as aggressive in these investments, but this deal is just too good to pass up for our members and for our customers. Got it. And you noted that it's historically been more difficult for co-ops to move away from fossil fuels and toward renewables. I mean, what has limited those utilities compared to larger investor-owned companies? Yeah, so there are kind of two factors at play here. As you know, one is moving off of fossil fuels, and the second is replacing that power and replacing that power with new wind, solar, and energy storage. For most large utilities, what we've seen in recent years is a very rapid shift away from coal-fired power, especially that utilities that basically have less of a regulatory shield on their rates and are basically just more reliant on kind of the market and the market whims and economics. Those utilities have seen the value for coal just plummet. And wind and solar, by comparison, they don't have fuel costs. Wind and sun is free. And there have been these really generous investment tax credits, which we'll talk more about in a second. So coal just over time has not been able to compete with wind and solar. And a lot of those large utilities can exit that coal and switch to a cheaper resource. And that's the best choice for them and for their customers. 
But the problem with those retirements from a financial perspective is that a lot of these plans are an investment the utility already made years ago, and it's still being paid off. So they need to find a way to take advantage of the low cost of wind and solar while not leaving customers on the hook for the money they still owe on the coal plant. And for large power companies, there are financial mechanisms in place that can make that work. For small nonprofit cooperatives, they don't have that same kind of financial flexibility. And so they've historically been more worried about how that retirement could impact their members and customers, both from a financial perspective and also a reliability perspective, which brings me to the second point is that cooperatives have also struggled more than large utilities in investing in renewable energy. They're nonprofit companies, which means they're tax exempt. So they've been excluded from a lot of the lucrative payments that large utilities have received for those projects. And we know that those tax credits have really aggressively spurred the wind and solar industry in other areas, but cooperatives have just been largely left out of that. So those two things combined have just made the value proposition of this energy transition a lot more difficult for cooperatives than for other utilities. And so how does this program and other aspects of the Inflation Reduction Act aim to change that equation then? Yeah. So as I mentioned before, part of the equation is just the sheer dollar amount. The 25 percent discount is huge. But what it also does is it allows applicants to refinance their debts on a stranded asset, perhaps an old coal plant, for instance. And that gives them more of that financial flexibility on retiring these older assets without burdening their members that again, these large utilities have previously enjoyed. The other thing the IRA does that I'm told could combine really nicely with this loan program is it converts tax credits into direct pay for nonprofits. So that really opens up the door to a wide array of other nonprofit organizations, school districts, public power districts, and of course, rural electric cooperatives. So the applicants that I've talked to about this said those two things combined, kind of stacking those benefits on top of each other is just a really, really good economic proposition for us that just was kind of a no-brainer when we were considering whether to apply for this program. You mentioned you spoke to some of the co-ops, and of course, this is a political podcast, so let's talk politics. Many of these co-ops are from conservative communities, and we know red states and districts have opposed federal funds for clean energy. So how have the co-ops you talked with justified their decision? What was their rationale? So I do think that of the cooperatives I spoke with, economics just speaks a lot louder than politics here. If you can show your members that you can keep costs low and the lights on while making these investments, that's just an easy value proposition to your members that kind of overrides the politics of all of it. And I should note, too, that some of these cooperatives are actually following signals that either their states or their members have set. In Minnesota, for instance, a cooperative I spoke with, Conexus, is required by Minnesota law to reach 80 percent clean energy by 2040. So for them, they already were kind of under this pressure to make that transition, and now they feel like they can do it a lot faster. Another cooperative in Colorado, Tri-State, is an interesting example because they operate across several Western states with quite varied politics, but they've been facing pressure from their members for years to transition because, again, those members see other utilities doing it and see the cost benefits that those utilities have enjoyed. And they're asking, they've been asking Tri-State, you know, why can't we do this too? 
So for a lot of these utilities, the shift has been, regardless of kind of the politics around these federal incentives and the politics around wind and solar and coal and natural gas, it's become an entirely rational decision to make that transition start to happen and to start to make those investments when the deal is just this good. Also, on Wednesday, auto company Stellantis, which owns Chrysler, said it would build another massive joint venture battery plant with Samsung SDI in Kokomo, Indiana. It's a move that will boost the company's electric vehicle ambitions, but it could also inflame tensions with striking auto workers. The announcement comes in the fourth week of the United Auto Workers' strike against Stellantis, Ford, and GM, a labor action that is in part due to conditions for workers in joint venture battery plants. Something else to note, Kokomo, where Stellantis and Samsung are already building their first gigafactory, is also the hometown of UAW President Sean Fain. For more news on energy and the environment, subscribe to our free newsletter at politico.com slash power dash switch. And subscribe to Politico Pro to read our morning energy newsletter. Some of the music in today's show was composed by the mysterious Breakmaster Cylinder. And that's our show. I'm Nirmal Malaykul, and we'll see you back tomorrow. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Chevron is working to responsibly meet rising energy demand across their U.S. operations, like at their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand.